What's up? Thanks for turning on Shooting the Schmiz. I'm your host, Jonathan Smith. Got an absolutely loaded show for you today. We're talking Dolphins. We're talking Colts. We're going to talk a little Eagles. Obviously, we're talking Bengals Chiefs. And then we're going to get into the college football playoffs and things like that. So a lot of football today. A lot of football today. It's going to be a really good show. Hopefully, you stick around for the whole thing. Here we go. kick it off here starting with a team that has always been near and dear to my heart and my Miami Dolphins I want to talk about Tua you know this Dolphins 49ers game what happened what transpired how did the Dolphins lose to a third string quarterback in Brock Purdy who is also Mr. Irrelevant golly all right so I'm just gonna be truthful we're just gonna be honest here we saw one of or another limitation that Tua has obviously the arm strength is a concern on top of that now we see the lack of mobility that Tua has that he showed in their loss on Sunday against the 49ers he lacks mobility simple as that okay the two ankle surgeries in college and the hip surgery as well are really important because in college he moved really well that was one of the things that people liked about him coming out he has the hip surgery he has the ankle surgeries and now he just isn't he's just in the same he just doesn't move like other more athletic quarterbacks move. And in the NFL today, that's I'm not going to say that's the name of the game, but it is really helpful if you have a guy who can extend plays and make throws on the run and do all those things. Tua just he just doesn't do that very well. That just that, that isn't one of his strengths, okay? And the 49ers, they got after him, okay? You got to tip you got to tip their cap to them. Nick, Nick Bosa, I believe had 3 sacks. He had an absolute field day. You know, the Dolphins two starting offensive tackles were out, which, you know, obviously makes it a little bit easier when you're not having to go up against guys like Taron Armstead. But either way, like, 49ers did a great job of getting pressure with four. Flustered Tua, they, they got him off his spot, and so he had to make plays outside of the normal structure of the offense. And that's something that he really struggles to do. It's been a concern all year, been a concern really since he came into the league. When he's able to be on time, on target, you know, he's doing a three-step drop. His You know, he takes the third step, back foot plants, balls out. He is really, really good. Right, and that's what we'd seen, you know, through the first, you know, eleven games of the year. Right, you you see him be able to be on time, on target. Guys coming out of the breaks on time, boom, balls there on time, on target, and they're able to move up the field that way. And it's really impressive, right, when the offense is clicking like that. But the problem is when you're extremely reliant upon it to a point where when the play breaks down, you can't make more plays. That's an issue. Right, And this is ultimately what I think is holding Tua back from being an elite quarterback, right? Because you can do, you can do things to make up for the, arm strength, for the arm strength issue, right? Like, let's be honest. There aren't that many, like, 60-yard bombs being thrown in NFL games, right? Most, most throws are made between, you know, 1 and 20 yards downfield, which Tua can do, right? Not an issue. The problem is when he has to go off script and he has to roll out and he has to extend plays, he just isn't very good. He's inaccurate. And it's a major issue. So that's that's my little piece on the Dolphins, right? And if you want to hear more on it, I wrote an article over on finfanatic.com. That's P-H-I-N-P-H-A-N-A-T-I-C, finfanatic.com. If you want to go read you know, the rest of my Tua breakdown, it's all on there. I want to talk about the Colts. And, man, the Colts, they just, they suck. 
there's just no other way to put it. You know, I'm here, I'm I'm in I'm in Indianapolis, and it's really tough being in a, being in a city that loves their NFL team, and that NFL team just happens to be one of the four worst teams in the NFL, especially when they shouldn't be. Like, why are the Colts this bad? Obviously, the regression of Matt Ryan is a major part of that. Okay, and here's the biggest thing that I've just kind of noticed over these past couple weeks. You know that there's a problem at quarterback when you walk around a city that has an NFL team and all the people you see are in jerseys of an offensive lineman. Okay, like you walk around Indianapolis and you see somebody in a Colts jersey. It's either like a throwback Peyton Manning jersey. I've seen some Dallas Clark jerseys around. It's either a throwback Peyton Manning jersey or they're wearing a Quentin Nelson Colts jersey. And that's just, that's an issue. Okay, Okay, like that's that's an offensive lineman. I would bet that you could go to the other, you know, 30 other NFL cities and you wouldn't see anybody else wearing an offensive lineman's jersey. I guarantee it. Okay? Like I before I moved up here, I'd never seen anybody ever wear an offensive lineman's jersey. Growing up, no one asked for an offensive lineman's jersey for Christmas. Didn't happen. Okay? Probably didn't happen this year either. And then do you know who definitely didn't ask for an offensive lineman's jersey this year. Chiefs fans, Bills fans, Chargers fans, even Bears fans. You know, they're all out here asking for jerseys of their quarterbacks, right? Like, they're asking for jerseys of quarterbacks that they think are going to be in their cities for the next 15 years, right? And the thing with the Colts is the Colts haven't had that since Andrew Luck, and he retired almost five years ago. That's an issue. It's an issue, but it's also okay. Like, I don't mind that the Colts haven't landed an elite quarterback since Andrew Luck, right? Because, look, it's it's hard to draft quarterbacks. It's a really hard thing to do. The issue that I have is that Chris Ballard, the GM here, here, in, here in Indianapolis, of the Indianapolis Colts, highly regarded in the profession. People just love him. The issue that I have is that Chris Ballard hasn't even taken a swing at drafting a quarterback. Okay, they've done this little rental thing for these past five years, and it plan simply just has not worked. Okay, and like I said, it's hard to draft quarterbacks. Okay, I did a whole thing, I guess that was last week, on how hard it is to draft quarterbacks in the first round. Half of them don't make it. You know, you know, 25% are like formidable, solid quarterbacks on like the Kirk Cousins level. And then the other 25%, or like your Patrick Mahomes and things like that. It is really hard to draft a quarterback. So once again, I don't mind that Chris Ballard hasn't found the guy. What I mind is that he hasn't even attempted to find the guy. They haven't taken a quarterback in the first round since they took Andrew Luck, and that was in 2012. That was that was a decade ago. Ten years ago was the last time the Colts drafted a quarterback in the first round. That's absolutely unacceptable. Okay? Like, how are you going to find the quarterback of the future, if you refuse to draft a quarterback. It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense, okay? In addition to that, in addition to why the Colts are absolutely terrible this year, in addition to Chris Ballard's unwillingness to draft a quarterback, the hiring of interim head coach Jeff Saturday was and is absolutely terrible. The hiring makes no sense, and that's playing out now, okay? Like, there's a reason 
why guys start off as position coaches and then they move to like becoming coordinators. And then eventually, after a lot of hard work and a lot of years in a film room with other coaches and a lot of meetings and things like that, eventually they become head coaches. Okay, you can't pull a high school coach out from behind an ESPN desk and expect good results. Okay, I don't care you know, if he played in the NFL or not. doesn't matter. I don't care that Jeff Saturday played for the Colts and is a big part of the history here. doesn't matter. It was a bad choice for the interim. It was, just, it was a bad choice for interim head coach. And look, that's not on Chris Ballard. That's on Jim Irsay. Simple as that. Golly, I just... Mm. Like this Colts team, when you look across the roster... Should be really good. Or maybe not really good, but like a fringe wild card team. Like that's what this team should be. And that just hasn't happened this year. And when you have expectations for a team and they don't meet those expectations, it's really tough to sit here and watch them continue to be bad, right? Because they've got good players up and down this roster. And obviously, you know, Darius Leonard comes to mind. He's out for the rest of the year with an injury. But Stephon Gilmore, he's like, that's a really good player, right? Um, Quiddy Pay, right? When he's healthy, he's played well. When we look at the offense side of the ball, Jonathan Taylor was the offensive player of the year last year. He's having a terrible year this year. Quentin Nelson, he's a Hall of Fame offensive guard. The offensive line's been awful this year. It just There's just a lot of things that just don't make sense with this Colts team when you look at the talent and you look at the results. Speaking of results, Bengals have now beaten the Chiefs three times in a row. Maybe the Bengals just have their number... Maybe Joe Burrow's better than Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> that's a joke. I'm just kidding. That's that's not a thing. But yeah, Bengals now being the Chiefs three times. That Bengals defense is really legit. The adjustments that they make at halftime, very very impressive. Um, yeah, this this Bengals team really good. Might be the best team in the AFC. They've really figured things out here these last few weeks. Jamar Chase is back. That's a huge addition for their offense. Bengals team really good. Could potentially be going back to the Super Bowl this year. Quietly, the Lions have won four of their last five. Good for Dan Campbell. Love love to see it. Love him as a head coach. Hope he continues to do well. There's your Lions update. And then finally, the most impressive win for me, I think, this week is the Eagles beating the Titans 35-10, to just absolutely handing it to them because we saw their ability to win in multiple ways. Okay, it's important, like in March Madness, you're playing college basketball, you want to bet on teams who can win in multiple ways. You want to bet on teams... You know who can beat you with defense. You want to who can beat you with defense, but they can also beat you with really good three point shooting or whatever, right? Like you want to bet on teams who can win in multiple ways. I think the same thing applies here to football. And when we look at the Eagles, this is a team that can win in multiple ways. We saw them run it straight down the Green Bay Packers' throat in prime time as they went on to absolutely crush the Packers. And this week, the Titans came out and said, "You know what? We're physical. We're going to lean on that. You're not running the football." If you want to beat us, you're going to have to beat us over the top. And A.J. Brown said, gladly. Okay? And that's, for me, the most impressive win this week. The Eagles going out and absolutely crushing a very well-coached, very physical Tennessee Titans team. So, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into college football and just the college football playoff rankings. We're going to talk about some of the bowl games. It's going to be really good. So, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more shooting the Schmitz, getting into college football, college football playoffs, everything like that. Final rankings came out on Sunday, and look, it's exactly what I predicted over here at shooting the Schmitz. USC lost, Ohio State slid into the fourth spot, TCU lost a close game, and so they stayed in the top four. Alabama should have gotten in over Ohio State. 
I like I understand that I, that Alabama has lost twice, but still, Alabama is the better football team. Simple as that. It's it's that simple, and that's the point of the committee. The point of the committee is to find the four best teams. Simple as that. Okay. Ohio State's point differential in losses this year is minus twenty two, compared to Alabama's minus four. Alabama's losses came on the road. They, they came on the road in hostile environments. They went on the road to Tennessee, played at Needling Stadium, a stadium that holds over 100,000 people. They went on the road to LSU, played in Death Valley at 7 o'clock at night, raging drunk people yelling at you. They went on the road, went to overtime, and lost on a two-point conversion in the first overtime. Lost on the final play of both of those games. That, to me does not deserve the punishment of being left outside of the top four when you have a team like Ohio State who is at home and got blown out by 22 points. 20, they got beat by 20. They got their doors obliterated by the number two ranked team in the country. And now you're going to rank them number four and you're going to make them go play Georgia, who I think everybody would agree is the best team in the country. That just doesn't make any sense. After seeing what Ohio State did at home against Michigan, what in the world gives anybody any kind of reasoning to pick them to beat Georgia? For this to even be a good close game. Okay, like like Ohio State, you're not at home. Like this is a, a neutral site against a better team. They're going to get their doors blown off. I'm telling you right now. I'm going to guarantee it. Guarantee it. Ohio State loses by at least three possessions. At least three possessions in this game. At least. Probably more. Okay, it wouldn't surprise me if we had some something similar to when Georgia blew Oregon out to open the season. I don't think it'll be quite that bad. Forty nine to three, that's a bit excessive. This Ohio State offense is good. But like the same idea where it's not even a contest and you can tell from the first snap. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. On top of that, of the top six teams that of the of the top six teams in this final rankings, Ohio State is the only one. To lose at home. Of all the top 10 matchups this year, the only home team to lose was Ohio State. Okay, it's not the fact that they lost. It's the fact that how they got beat. It's the fact that they got blown out. Okay, you, you can't get blown out at home and convince me that you're one of the four best teams in the country. I don't care who you play. Okay, like if they had lost on a last second field goal or something like that, because that's a really good Michigan team, right? Michigan's one of the two best teams in the country. I, I say that with confidence. If you know, so like if they lose on like a last second field goal or something or some like crazy fluke play, then like yeah, sure, put put them in, put them in. But they got physically dominated that game. Okay, the first half they they went in up twenty to seventeen, and then it was terrible after that. They got their doors blown off. They scored three points in the second half. Come on now, and you're and now you're gonna go send them to play Georgia? Okay, that's fine. Switching gears now to TCU, Michigan, and Georgia, um, Georgia, Michigan. Definitely the two best teams in the country. I think TCU is a distant third. Alabama is the fourth best team in the country, and they're pretty distant as well. Georgia and Michigan, both really, you know, complete teams. You know, they can both run the ball. They can both be two over the top. And the defenses are fast and physical. And I really hope that this is the national championship game, and I think it will be the national championship game. I can tell you right now, picking Georgia and I'm picking Michigan to both win their games. They both remind me of the Eagle. They both remind me of the Eagles. Kind of what I talked about in the last segment in terms of these are two teams who can beat you in multiple ways. Stetson Bennett much improved from last year. 
This is a guy who distributes the ball really well. And, of course, it's Georgia. You know that they're going to be able to line the football up and run it downhill right at you. That's just that's that's who they are. That is their DNA. I love the fact that they ran it up on LSU and they went for two. I love it. Part of it is because I can't stand LSU, but it's beside the point. So both teams capable of beating you in multiple ways. We saw it with Michigan. Uh, the first half, that they couldn't really run the ball. They Stayed in the game with their defense. I'm talking about the Ohio State game here. They stayed in the game with their defense. The offense did just enough to stay in the game. And then in the second half, the offense showed up. They began to run the football and really kind of impose their will on Ohio State. And that's that's what I like about these two teams. They can beat you in multiple ways. They are the two best teams. I hope this is our national championship game. And once again, I think this will be our national championship game. I think Georgia... Like I said, guaranteeing you they win by at least three possessions against Ohio State. I think Michigan has their way with TCU as well. Moving on, the other big bowl games. Alabama is taking on the real Big 12 champs, Kansas State. Uh, That game will be fun. Um, Tennessee is playing Clemson. That game will be interesting. You know, Clemson's playing is you know they're going to go with the young stud at quarterback. Obviously, with Tennessee, Hendon Hooker isn't playing. So that kind of changes some things. Notre Dame play South Carolina. That game should be a lot of fun. Uh, Penn State and Utah. And then Tulane takes on USC. USC, only favored by two points in that one. So the bowl games sound good, but we're going to run into the same issue that we run into every year. First of all, we've already had a bunch of players put their names in the portal, so we're going to have guys moving around. And on top of that, the best players don't play. And as much as a part of me doesn't like the 12-team playoff, think it should be six or eight. I do like that we're going to have more teams, have their complete teams during this bowl season, right? Because like, it's going to suck when you turn on to watch Alabama play against Kansas State and Bryce Young isn't playing. Like, it just, it is. It's not, it's, it takes away from the joy of watching the game. Because I'm going to ask, I don't care to watch Alabama's back quarterback play. I want to watch Bryce Young play, right? Because he's one of the best players in college football, right? And we're going to see that you know, across every single bowl game, you know, the best players not playing. And there's a part of me that likes it and understands it. And this is a debate that happens every year. Should players sit out? Should they play? Whatever, 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 whatever. Um, If look, if you're a solidified first round NFL draft pick, you shouldn't play. Simple as that. The game doesn't matter. You know, you're one ACL tear away from costing yourself a lot of money. And you shouldn't do that, right? But there needs to be something in place for these guys to make them want to play. I think it would be really cool if there was a way to get the sponsors to offer a prize for winning. Kind of like, I believe it's, maybe it's Major League, yeah. So with with Major League Baseball, if you win the Home Run Derby, they give you a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Especially, you know, a lot of the young guys who participate aren't making millions and millions of dollars yet. I'm making like six hundred and fifty grand a year, which is like that's more than enough for me. But you see what I'm saying? Offer some kind of incentive to the players on the teams who win. That way, like we get some more of these guys actually participating in making these bowl games just a little bit more enjoyable. Actually, getting to watch the best players play in these games. So we're gonna take a short break. We come back. We're gonna wrap it up. Well, just a little bit of of NBA stuff. If you're like me, you know you're probably just paying a ton of attention to football. And basketball is definitely on the back burner. After Christmas, around the All-Star break, we'll really pick it up here on the show. But just want to quickly update you on everything going on. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. 
And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. Going to wrap it up here with just a little bit of NBA talk. We're going to start over in the Eastern Conference. Boston, currently the one seed out east with a 20-5 and record. Jason Tatum is taking this game to another level, finishing around the rim at a much higher clip, shooting the ball well, defending at a high level. Jalen Brown is playing really well as well. Um, this is the best team in the NBA right now. Jason Tatum would probably have my vote for MVP um, if I had to make that vote today. He's just been nothing short of incredible. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been everything we thought Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were going to be. They're a lot of fun to watch. Keep your eye on them. Whenever you do start paying attention to basketball, Boston, really, really good basketball team. Milwaukee is the second seed in the East at 17-6. and six. Giannis is awesome this year. That's all you really need to know about Milwaukee. Really a very similar makeup. Two other teams in the past, really good level, really good high-level defenders that can shoot around Giannis and Chris Middleton. Third seed is Cleveland. Cleveland is a lot of fun. They're my favorite team to watch, okay? Donovan Mitchell, very engaged, scoring at a high level, also really committing to playing defense. Uh, Garland is one of the most fun point guards in the league. Mobley has taken a step offensively. He's got this little short hook now that he likes to hit. So he's become a more consistent offensive threat. In addition to everything that he brings to you defensively, Jared Allen is still there protecting the rim. Cleveland, a lot of fun to watch. Four seed Atlanta. The DeJounte Murray, you know, addition has been a little weird. They split his and Trey Young's minutes. So the only time they're really on the floor together is the last, you know, eight to 10 minutes of the game. And there's a lot of speed, a lot of shooting on that team. They're, they're okay. I don't think they're as good as what people were expecting them to be as of right now. But as they continue to gel and mesh, they're going to get better. Uh, Pacers are currently the fifth seed. They're a lot of fun. That's really it. No major title. No, they're definitely not a major a major title contender. Moving on to Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Kevin Durant's holding it down. Okay, amidst all the noise and all the chaos, firing Steve Nash. Oh, we're going to hire Ime Udoku. Oh, wait, no, we're not. Kyrie did this. Kevin Durant has done a really good job of stabilizing that ship. It's definitely his team. He's played really well this year, scoring at a high level once again because he's Kevin Durant, and he always scores at a high level. Philadelphia, arguably the most disappointing team in the league a quarter of the way through the season, currently 12-12, and currently the seventh seed. Um, Man, they just... They're just not living up to expectations. Um, If they don't pick it up, they'll be looking for a new head coach next year. Toronto, the eighth seed, Nick Nurse, best coach in the league. Very well coached. Scotty Barnes has gotten a little bit better. You know, when he emerges, that's when they'll really kind of take their next step. Pascal Siakam continues to be a good player. Miami, currently the ninth seed. They'll get it figured out. It's Jimmy Butler. It's Eric Spolstra. Heat culture, big deal. They will eventually figure it out. Washington started hot, and they've kind of faded off here. But they're a lot of fun, too. Porzingis playing really well, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Kyle Kuzma has really improved since leaving L.A. And Bradley Beal doing Bradley Beal things. So I'm not going to worry about the teams that aren't currently in the top 10. Like New York, they're probably going to be a playing team. Chicago's really disappointing. Um, Yeah, and you don't care about Charlotte, Detroit, or Orlando. Let's just be honest. Moving out west, Phoenix, currently the one seed. I think we've seen this before. Um, they're currently 16-8. and eight. Devin Booker, very similar to Jason Tatum. He's taken another step in his game. Chris Paul's been out. When he comes back, they'll be even better. New Orleans is the two seed. New Orleans is fun. Zion's actually playing games, and when he actually plays games, they're really good. Okay, There's not a matchup in the NBA 
for Zion. Like, there's nobody who can guard him too big, too strong, too fast. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, Memphis, John Morant, having an incredible year in the MVP conversation without a doubt. Four seed is Denver. They have a what are we doing when Jokic isn't on the floor issue. Um, when he's on the floor, they're one of the best teams in the NBA. But for those, you know, eight to ten minutes where he's not on the floor, it is rough. They don't really know who to run the offense through. As Jamal Murray gets more comfortable, though, you know, returned from injury, they'll start running it through him, and I think that they'll be fine. For the fifth seed, Sacramento Kings, 13-9, De'Aaron Fox, probably going to be an all-star this year. He's really taking a step, putting, you know, with especially with the addition of guys like Sabonis and Kevin Herter and Malik Monk and these other guys around him, it's really just kind of allowed him to take another step in his game. The sixth seed, Los Angeles Clippers, 14-11. and 11. When Kawhi plays, they're good. Not great. This is not a championship-level team like a lot of people were expecting. Seventh seed, Portland Trailblazers. Kind of surprising, especially since Damian Lillard has missed some time. They're 13-11. and 11. When he comes back, you know, they'll get even. They'll be even better. Utah started really hot. Now they're fourteen and twelve. Um, you know, they're they're you know in their last ten games they've lost six. I mean, they're going to continue to plummet, kind of towards the bottom. Dallas is the ninth seed. They got to figure out how to get Lucas some help. Christian Wood hasn't really panned out so far. Going to be interesting to see what they do around around the trade deadline. And then finally, in you know your tenth seeded defending NBA champion. Golden State Warriors, I think they're just cruising. They're going to pick it up here at some point, and they'll be fine. Okay, and then Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Lakers, Houston, and San Antonio are all currently outside the playoffs. Minnesota, obviously, um, Carl Anthony Towns got hurt, and so that's really going to kind of ruin their season. The Lakers, Anthony Davis has been good, but hadn't been good enough. They're still 10-12. and 12. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thanks for taking the time to come and listen to the show. Um... Yeah, I'm ready for Thursday. We're going to update the Super Bowl bubble. It's going to be a really good show. So I will talk to you on Thursday.